Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Wizard World Austin uh, Comic-Con 2014. Uh, I'm still a little confused as to exactly how this is properly branded because it seems a little cumbersome to have all of that on there, but that's where they're going. And, and frankly, the whole, it sows the seeds of confusion with Comic-Con. Anyways, it's Wizard World Austin. That's how I like to refer to it. This is the third or fourth year they've done this here in town. Oh, that's an excellent question. It's either the third or the fourth. It's It's interesting because the first year was kind of small. Um, and then the second and I think it's fourth year actually. Either way, it was it, it got bigger this year. It felt smaller. It did, and I think part of that is because Austin City Limits was going on. It was the same weekend as New York Comic Con, obviously off in New York. Uh, here but in town, there was a football game for the university. The the, the relevance though, going back to the the New York Comic Con. Having it the same weekend as another major convention, and New York is like one of the big ones, mm-hmm. means a lot of the people that you would expect to see at just a, a city-sized show, you know, the uh, the Ernie Hudson's, the um, Lou Ferrigno's, those tor- sorts, that normally I think would have been at this kind of a show, they're going to go to to New York. Definitely. You know, Definitely. and I think there are probably some people who split the time between the two shows. Well, I was going to say, Manu Bent was listed as being here Saturday, and he had a panel Friday. But I do wonder, was he only here for part of the show? Was he here for all of the show? I'm curious. Well, and it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday show this year. And again next and year. Again, wow. That, when I first noticed it, just confused me. Well, and I I stopped in and asked about it because I was curious. It's not a situation I'm accustomed to. And it's it's something that they're doing, I'll say, accidentally on purpose. It's not a decision that they struck out and said, yes, we're going to start a new trend in conventions. It's the fault of Austin being a very popular city and... You know, as we just mentioned, we have football game this weekend. We had yeah. Austin City Limits this weekend. And um, I want to clarify both of those, if you don't mind. Yeah, please. We don't have a, a professional football team. We've got the University of Texas. And Longhorn, the, the football team for the university, uh, Longhorn football here is big. When you think University of Texas, think 50,000 students now, currently attending. When I was at the University of Texas as a student, first year I get back and I'm I'm talking with a, a high school friend who'd gone to Berkeley. And I kept saying, yeah, UT, UT, and stuff like that. And it's like, you mean UTA? No, that would be UT. Well, don't, don't jump into the story. Jeez, man. I went to school near the other one. Because, I mean, it's UCB for UC Berkeley. And he kept trying to correct me. You mean UTA? It's like, no. I don't go to Arlington. Yeah, and see. I go to Austin. It's just the University of Texas. If you're going to put any other letter there, you put the T at the beginning, maybe. But yeah, 
Tut just sounds wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I went to college up near UT a UT Arlington. So that's how I'm painfully aware. Yeah. Well, that this is the university. Uh, and when I was at the university that first year, my dorm was like two blocks from the stadium. Mm. Football here is huge. And so you've got that. And then Austin City Limits. I don't know how widespread knowledge of this is. This is like a major, major live music festival we're, that goes on for like a week and a half. We're recording this Saturday night after... Every, Saturday around, I think, 9.15 p.m. Yeah, everything is wrapped up. As we were driving away tonight from the convention center, I looked over towards Zilker Park, where a lot, not all, but a lot mm-hmm. of Austin City Limits takes place. And, you know, occasionally you'll see a spotlight or two aimed towards the heavens where an event is taking place. I stopped counting around 40 spotlights aimed at the sky. There were so many stages and bands set up at all these different... It's a major music venue for Austin. Um, and of course it's, it's, I forget if it's named after the show or the show, TV show is named after it, but the festival came after the television show. Okay. So there's the Austin city limits music show on, you know, PBS type Mm -hmm. stations done here at the university, really big. Uh, but then again, they've got, I don't know how many stages, I don't know how many bands, how many live concerts and whatnot. And if you're really into that kind of a thing, it's awesome. I last, eh, not so much. Well, and the festival used to be a one-weekend affair, mm-hmm. and now it's a two-weekend affair because one weekend cannot contain all of this live music. As best it's been described to me, it seems like the music live performance equivalent of San Diego Comic-Con is to comics. I would believe that. So that was a major traffic and parking logistics thing in the downtown area because Zilker Park is literally just across the river or or as we call it here Ladybird Lake cuz you you put a city near a river and I guess it becomes a lake I don't know if it was legislation or whatever anyways um it's it's literally just across the water uh and and not even wide water it's like a block wide or something at that point um and just a little off to the west or something so it's it's really close some of the 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 venues downtown are just majorly impacted 6th Street's a major party thing the convention center is between First or Cesar Chavez, as we call it, but what would have been First Street, and Fourth Street, um, just off I-35, which is only a few blocks from kind of the center of downtown. So you had again the football for UT. You had Austin City Limits. You're competing against New York Comic Con, and you've got all this construction downtown. Yeah, well, I don't know what time the football game was today, Saturday, but last night, Friday night, we saw things being erected and built for today's tailgating, which tells you how seriously... Tailgating, party-type stuff. Yeah, it's taken. uh, Promotional venues. And this was over, gosh, I don't even know how many block radius. I mean, extending out from the campus, which is a 40-acre campus, in, in... multiple directions so it's it's, yeah. it's a it's a big deal and well six blocks away from the convention center give or take we saw uh for several blocks long an entire lane basically barricaded off from the rest of traffic 
four buses for people yeah. for Austin City limits. So one lane of traffic was removed from the rest of us just for the festival. So 10 or 15 blocks to the west of the convention center, essentially Austin City limits, more or less. Mm-hmm. Okay, the edge of it. Uh, 10 or 15, 15 or so blocks north of the convention center is the university and the football game. So a lot going on. Um, and I think that really, I don't know what the final uh, uh, figures are for how many people showed up at the convention over the three days, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but there seemed to be fewer vendors. Well, and quite frankly, as as someone who would have considered being an attendee, I can understand looking at how traffic might be, how parking might be, and saying, wow, I'm not sure I want to go into the heart of that this weekend, no matter how good the guests are at the convention. It's not even this weekend. It's Saturday or the weekend or the full convention if you take two afternoons off from work. Yeah. So, so the I, Thursday, Friday, I think, was an impact as well. Yeah, I can see where it was a very hard decision for a lot of people. And the flip side of that is we saw some people who came in from Tennessee because uh, a wrestling guy. The uh, Undertaker. The guy came to, mm-hmm. to see that wrestler. The Undertaker and Paige. And this guy, bless his heart, he had a good sense of humor because I was having a very blonde moment. And in my defense, the wrestler was named The Undertaker. But I had seen several people when we first arrived at the convention that had these big laminated badges that said VIP Undertaker. Well, and you know, I guess that's part of why I take a little bit of issue with this being called Comic-Con in any way, shape, or form, regardless of the whole San Diego thing. But a lot of people were there for the wrestlers. Mm. Cool. A lot of people, teen girls, were there for the, the two guys, the kids from the Vine or whatever. Okay, there were a lot of people there, myself included, uh, not totally, but also, you know, for Christopher Judge from Stargate, Katie Cassidy from uh, Arrow. Um, Were there any other celebrities like that we saw this? Uh, We went and uh, saw... Oh, Rebecca Mater. Yeah, definitely. From Lost and Once Upon a Time. So I'm certainly there for the celebrities too, don't get me wrong. But the, the comic influence was not as strong there as... Uh, we've seen in really most of the other conventions we went to, including the um, Capital City Comic Con that we went to before San Diego, mm-hmm. and that was down at the uh, the Palmer Event Center. Yeah, which was uh, really on the edge of almost of Zilker Park, um, so just literally uh, about a ten fifteen block away from the convention center, um, and. This one felt more spread out at the convention center this year, Wizard World. The exhibit hall seemed like it was the equivalent of maybe two or three full aisles at San Diego, but it was kind of spread across multiple really short aisles. Um, the Artist Alley was okay, but and part of it is many of these people, both the, the, the exhibitors and the artists, we had seen, what, two months ago in San Antonio... We saw them earlier this year here in Austin, and you know you were teasing me at one point. I stopped at a booth and I started to look, and you chuckled at me and said, "Yeah, you you admired it, man." Just you know, two months ago down in San Antonio, and I'm like, "Yeah, I knew this this art looked gorgeous." Well, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. But when I see stuff online of oh, people aren't buying stuff, 
I didn't spend any money at any of the uh, the booths this, at this convention. But part of it is I've seen them a lot. I think we've got a lot more repeat convention goers. Mm. How many times have we been to a panel and the the celebrity or the person on the panel recognizes the people asking the questions? Well, and there was some of that. And I wonder how much of that is they recognize them because they've attended before and how much of that is they recognize them from a twi- Twitter interaction, a Facebook interaction. Or a VIP face-to-face just before or something. Yeah. I think there's some of that, but there seems to be... I mean, I, I, I've, I've seen this and I forget exact cases, but where they're referencing, hey, we just saw you a couple of weeks ago at mm-hmm. this other convention or mm-hmm. you know, a month or two back or something. Yeah. You know, kind of a not... I just met you and therefore I know your name or I just saw you yesterday and I know your name. Well, there's a, sometimes I think there's a reprioritizing of where fans' budgets are going. Mm-hmm. Where 10, 20 years ago, I was budgeting $5 for the latest poster from my favorite movie of the year. Now, if I want an autograph, instead of budgeting another $5 to get that poster signed, that poster is now $15, and I have to budget $40 to get it signed. Yeah. Well, so there were a few things that we saw when we walked the floor yesterday that were a little tempting, but not to the point of, yeah, I'm going to go get it. There, I was surprised how many of the artists in the artist alley had some kind of Doctor Who. Mm. Now granted Matt Smith and, and Karen Gillan were supposed to show, but that goes to one of the other things that I think kind of handicapped this convention this weekend. Definitely. There were a lot of celebrity cancellations. Definitely. And they were broken down into they've got a, a filming commitment they're doing or personal reasons or like Ethan Van Skyver uh, deadline commitments or some such. And kudos to anyone who realizes, you know, I just, I, I've got a day job. I've got to got to mm. do that and can't make it to this. Sucks. I mean, it'd be nice to see all these people. But again, that, that seemed to shrink the, the convention a little bit in that respect. Well, I would have to go to the website and double check. But by my recollection, it was six or seven guests that canceled. It was Matt Smith. It was Karen Gillan, Evan Peters... Stephen Amell. Stephen Amell, definitely. Um, Ethan Van Skyver on the comics side. Uh, Bob Layton, maybe, on the comics side. I mean, there was a, a fair number. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's and not the, the fault of the convention. These things happen. Certainly not. And it happens with every convention. It was simply noticeable to me this time because, A, it happened with ones I happened to be interested in. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, makes it more noticeable. And B, I was actually watching for it this time because I wondered, will talent have a harder time coming to a Thursday-Friday convention yeah. because they film Monday through Friday and very few shows film Saturday-Sunday? The flip side is because of all of these things, mm-hmm. it was an awesome convention in terms of you could you could walk the, the, the hall incredibly easily. Oh, you... You could get where you yeah. were going incredibly easily. You didn't get bumped into. You could walk directly into any room. There as, were zero lines. Yeah, as Katie Cassidy put, it was a very intimate environment. Yeah. Yeah. You're in a room with some of these celebrities that are, you know, headlining shows. Mm-hmm. And 
there's a, a fair number of other people, but you're really, I mean, 30, 40 feet away at most in a in a room that's, it, it reminded me of Dragon Con, again, where they yes. were very intimate settings, and you felt like you were actually in the same room as the person on the podium or behind, on the panel or whatever. They could see you as well as you could see them. Mm-hmm. And it, it gives it a very different kind of a vibe. Yeah. Um. Now, going kind of chronologically, I know for... Well, and I do want to finish what I started to oh. say. Of With Austin being such a popular town, the reason that it is, again, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday convention next year is when they went to book the convention center for next year, all the weekends they looked at, Sunday was already booked. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it... It's unfortunate that we live in such a great town. That's how I'm going to phrase it. I'm just so sorry I live in such a wonderful city. Well, again, <laughs> it's popular for things like Austin City Limits, uh, South by Southwest. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a lot going on here. You know, but now that I understand that that is what has created this situation... And they're giving us a full year to plan in advance. Mm-hmm. They've set it up. And I I am curious how it will work out because next year it's going to be October 29th through the 31st. So Halloween weekend. I'm thinking they did that in one of the past years and it worked out really well because people, it, it gave them an added incentive to get their costume ready exactly. for Halloween. and kind of double dip on on the usage of it and, yeah. and whatnot. The I effort. think it, it really feeds into the cosplay, and I think it'll work out pretty nice. Well, and if they're smart, they play up the cosplay aspect, have some panels on that sort of a thing. And I, I just want to go ahead and mention, you pointed out some great cosplay to me today. Uh, Mork from Mork was there. I, I have been going to comic conventions, and granted, Mork is not a comic character. He's a TV character. Yeah, But, but I've been going to San Diego and other conventions for decades. I do not know that I have ever seen a Mork from Mork costume. No, and no. it's the red space jumpsuit, and it's like, that's cool. Yeah. And there were a couple of Red Lanterns. One of them was the Supergirl Red Lantern and such. And, you know, this goes, again, back to the, I, I quibble with the Comic-Con terminology. A lot of the, uh, there was the one guy who moderated a lot of panels, Aaron um, Sagers, who did a, a, a great job on some stuff. But the fact that he couldn't recognize you know, Supergirl as a Red Lantern, or even what a Red Lantern was. You know, some of these people just aren't as up on the comic stuff. Now, granted, I read everything under the sun. I know I'm better informed than a lot of people. I get it. Well, and he was definitely from the television side of fandom. Oh, totally. And again, nothing wrong with that. I'm yeah. sure he could recognize recognize a lot of stuff there that I'd be totally clueless on. Mm-hmm. But this isn't Wizard World Austin Television Con. No, but it goes back to the comment that we've made in past podcasts of Wizard World is certainly a pop culture convention. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love that about it. Yeah, exactly. You know, again, not casting judgment, just no, yeah. with the terminology. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, Comic-Con is, is a term that it used to be a more literal term. It's yeah. It's now almost euphemistic yeah. in, in some respects. Um, it's been co-opted in a variety of ways to 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 mean something less specific. Yeah, its its definition has changed. Yeah. Um, now technically, this convention started for us on Wednesday. Yes. 
we went downtown for the press party they had at... Easy Tiger Bakery, I believe. That's what it was. Thank you. I was blanking on that. Just That was on 6th Street and stuff. And a uh, nice venue. Hadn't yeah. been there before. You know what? With it being a, a bakery and all and us being, you know... Gluten-free. C- celiac disease, <laughs> gluten-free, you know. Uh, yeah, just don't make too many bakeries in that respect. Um, but we got to pick up a press badge early, uh, our wristbands actually. I hate the wristbands. Had them thing on for a couple of days. Um, talked to a couple other people, uh, that were going to cover the convention. They were really nice. Yeah, we had a wonderful time. Great conversation. Uh, Jason David Frank, I think, was the only guest that was there that night, and he was giving interviews to whoever wanted one. Somebody asked me, uh, how I would describe Jason David Franks at that, and I said, the only thing I can say is he was so dedicated to making sure anyone, everyone who wanted an interview got their interview that I believe he was able to take one bite out of his sandwich every half hour. I've been watching his uh, YouTube series, My Morphin Life, and there's a lot of things where he goes to a lot of conventions and stuff like that where I could imagine kind of the coverage is like, oh man, I'm so hungry, but man, I, I got to do this interview kind of a thing. Because he, he's there for the fans, mm-hmm. or in this case, the people who are going to cover him for the fans. Mm-hmm. You know, he is incredibly accessible in that respect. Um, and the fact that he was there at the press party, he made himself available. Every time he had a chance to take a bite of that sandwich, it was like he started looking around saying, who should I be talking to? It was almost like he felt guilty that he was having time to eat. He knew he was there to work. He knew he was there to give these interviews and to help kick off the convention. And I really respected him for showing up to kick it off that way. And we've seen him, I think, well, at this convention last year and a few others and stuff. Most of the ones we went to, actually. And he, he he's all in on this stuff. He is. And he's great with kids. He, he's got an aspect of motivational speaker. He's a bit of a goofball at times. He's awesome with the kids. He's really good with names. And I think part of that is he runs a, a bunch of, of martial arts schools. He, he's used to interacting with people. He was the Green Ranger like 20 years ago, so this is kind of old hat to him. Um, But he's, again, incredibly accessible, uh, very open, very friendly, Mm -hmm. uh, and just there to have a good time and there to make sure the fans have a good time. And he is always taking the the selfies, the videos and stuff with his, his, his camera phone, and that's the sort of stuff, some of that footage makes it up onto his, his YouTube thing. And it's fun because you can see, you know, kind of around the world, the different conventions and stuff. Uh, and in one of them, he got into the spandex, the whole Green Ranger suit, the whole nine yards. I mean, um, and there was kind of the comments, you know, before he goes on stage, if he had hides nothing sort of, you know. He made one of those comments today during his panel when somebody commented that they were going to get into the spandex and he was kind of warning them about it. Yeah, um, in case I forget later when we get to his panel, somebody asked to see his tattoos and stuff and he, he showed it's like yeah i got this i got this i got this i got this i got that you know well somebody asked him to take his shirt off and yes. show all his tattoos and he had like a i guess a lightweight jacket over his shirt and he took that off and showed what was visible around the t-shirt and then pretended he was going to take more off and yeah yeah he yeah. he had fun teasing the audience yeah 
he's he's interesting. Um, he's got a good sense of humor. And, you know, he's from Power Rangers. He's done a few other things. Again, the, the YouTube stuff's worth checking out. But in terms of the Power Ranger fandom, which is going on, you know, it's over 20-year show now, he has been on more episodes as an actual Power Ranger than anyone else. He has been on more seasons as a Power Ranger than anyone else. He has been in the same episodes with more other Rangers than anyone else. He is as close to as ubiquitous of a Ranger as you can get. He was the first sixth Ranger. He's played more different suits, Rangers and stuff than anyone else. So it's not just that he was really popular back in the day. There are things that make him unique about all of that. Yeah. Um, now, the, the convention actually started up on Thursday, but it was one of those where I think the hours were, what, four to nine? Yes. And by the time I got off work, we would have made it down here and stuff. It's like, you know, I just, I don't want to have to go fight the, the traffic, pay for parking and, and all of that stuff. And frankly, I didn't see anything on the panel schedule that really struck my interest. I was a little curious about like Batman at 75 and a few of the panels. But again, it was the traffic, the parking, and quite frankly, knowing there was so much good stuff Friday and so much good stuff Saturday. Yeah. And knowing I had to basically get a lot of work done so I could have all that time Friday and Saturday to not be working. There is a certain amount of pace yourself on these things. Yes. So we kind of skipped out on that. And on the one hand, I feel a little bad. On the other hand, Five hours, it would have made for a late night after I got off work. You know, it's it, it, the math didn't work out in terms of it, you know. Um, and then Friday, we uh, the thing was from two to nine, two to something or other. Yeah. So we headed down. Uh, I, I worked the, the morning and stuff, got off at noon, uh, picked you up. We then um, actually headed downtown because at this point, it's like ACLs going on, Austin City Limits. How's parking going to be? It's a business day. So we figured, let's get the car into the, the garage, get that squared away, go grab a bite to eat. We went over to uh, Frank, the, the hot dog place. It's really good. Did that. I'd like to mention they have gluten-free buns. They have gluten-free buns. Really good gluten-free menu. You got the mm-hmm. hummus. I did. It was quite good. So if, if you're a uh, celiac and looking for food downtown, it is at 4th and Colorado. And they have vegan options just for those who are interested. You wouldn't expect it at a place that serves hot dogs, I know, but they have vegan options. Yeah, it's 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 a fun place. Yeah, it is. I was very impressed. So after that, we went and walked the floor and mm-hmm. frankly, didn't take a whole lot of time. Now, granted, grew up in San Diego, grew up going to San Diego Comic-Con, Comic-Con International is now known, which is now the size of like 10 football fields for the exhibit hall it's got 53 aisles each aisle has four blocks of four or five booths five booths each going back so you know 20 booths times i mean it's 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 gargantuan so when you hit a floor like this one you're not used to pacing yourself is part of the problem. Eh, well, I'm used it. to pacing myself at a very different pace. Well, yeah. This, this, frankly, it really had, if it had 100 booths, I'd be surprised here. Mm, I, 
I think it had more than it seemed like, but part of it is we'd seen Neil Adams earlier that's fair, that's this very... year. We'd seen Frankly Chat down in San Diego. We'd seen, or sorry, down in San Antonio. We'd seen Xbox elsewhere. I, I don't want to give the impression it was an empty hall. It no, was it not wasn't. In terms of booths, it was light in terms of people, which was awesome from from an attendee point of view. But I could also see how the exhibitors could be a little disappointed. Yeah, well, and I mean, I did not want to go to the Zombie Zone uh, Mech Corpse. We spent quite a bit of time at down in San Antonio. Yeah. So I felt no need to spend time at it here. But Mech Corpse was really quite fascinating. Well, so and- that's one where if I hadn't gone to San Antonio, I would have spent quite a bit of time there. And at that's, this that's one. a very valid point because... I've gone to more conventions this year than I think we normally have done in literally a five-year period. Yeah, definitely. Because normally it'd just be San Diego or something. Really, yeah. San Diego and the last few years, Austin. But having done San Diego, the Capital City Con, C2E2, Fan Expo, Wizard World Austin, or San Antonio, and now this, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of this is old hat. I've seen this. Yeah, well, and some of it is that today, as luck had it, or when we were walking the floor, I should phrase it as, I didn't happen to be in the mood to look at corsets, for instance. There were some... How often do you get in that mood? I, I have yet to see you in the, that That's mood. That's true. I think I've I known mean, you your entire life, so... Oh, you bragger to you. Uh, but that's the thing. There were some really nice booths for the cosplayers. There were. There they were just didn't awesome strike ones my mood. If you wanted to go pick up a sword, a battle axe, or some kind a of batleth. a, a batleth or manga weapon of some there variation. There were some very or, nice lightsabers. Lightsabers. Um, t-shirts. There were plenty of t-shirts. There were a handful of comic booths. Um, there was were, some excellent leather work. And, uh, you know, that, that's one of the things, not only in terms of the booth, but I've noticed in Artist Alley, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who are doing kind of arts and craftsy sort of art. Yeah, the, um, the, I want, the Stargate that we... There's the Stargate light up thing. Yeah. Somebody's doing like this etched glass thing or whatever, and they put a tr- lit base and it kind of captures the color oh. that's shooting up. It's, it's really cool. That, that, those were among the things that were sort of tempting if I would have somewhere i could put it and do something you know yeah i did a triple take on that with the and i've looked at that at least at three conventions this year with the god that's gorgeous but where would i put it what would i do with it and the fact that i've seen it at three conventions this year is part of the so i'm pretty sure it'll be at the next convention and that's unfortunate in terms of that meant i didn't feel a sense of pressure to buy it Today. To get somebody to buy something, it's got to be cool. It's got to be affordable. It's got to, I don't want to say be practical, but there's got to be a sense of this is what I will do with it and stick it in my closet never to be looked at again. Not a good answer. This certainly was not that. Um, and there's got to be a certain lug it around ability factor to it. And there are a lot of things that get to where it's like, you know, I'm kind of interested, but you know, I'm just not going to go bite on that right now. I'm not going to go pick that up right now. Maybe later. Mm-hmm. And I do think there is less money-changing hands at conventions these days than there used to be. Certainly a lot less is leaving my hands than used to be. It used to be, it's like, man, if I went to a place like this and I didn't have a couple hundred dollars in my wallet at the beginning of the day and not at the end, I'd be surprised. Mm -hmm. But I'm also 
a little lazier, I guess, than I used to be in terms of what I want to lug around, a little more selective in, in what I'm picking up, and just because I get as many comics as I do, because I go through previews and stuff like that, finding something new, different, and cool to me, it's not as low as a bar as it used to be. Well, and it was, you know, way back last century in my college days that I got a movie poster that was going to go on my dorm wall for the year. And it was, to me, a pretty big deal to pick, you know, what's going to be the one movie poster that sums up it's worth, A, me spending my money on, and B, me wanting to look at it for two full semesters of college, you know, and trying to narrow down all your choices, especially at that point, I was looking at San Diego Con, where there are so many booths to choose from these posters at. You know, when you say that, I I, I think back to, you know, when I was in college, the places I've had after, and all of the posters I have ever put up anywhere. And it quickly comes down to, there was like a, the the first Batman movie poster with the logo, because mm-hmm. it was iconic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Crisis on Infinite Earths poster mm-hmm. uh, that I had up actually in my office at, at uh, my last job. The Marvel Universe mega poster that I had up at my apartment in San Diego. Um, I don't know that I ever put it up anywhere here, but that that's one that it, it just needs a lot of wall space. Well, the unfortunate thing for the current vendors of movie posters is that at my current abode, I have an excellent Troy poster up. I have it dueling, if you will, with a wonderful Gladiator poster. And it kind of fills my available wall space. Yeah. And it's it's somewhat epic, if you will, to have my... My classics, if at war, who, who, up on the wall. And I'm out of wall space, and I have no desire to take them down. Whoever can figure out how to get where you can have an almost infinite selection of posters or lithographs or prints or whatever in a, a easy-to-flip-out-and-change-the-display to sort of a thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, on the one hand, I, I don't want them digitally. I want it the actual thing. And I'm no longer changing dorm rooms every year. Yeah. And in college, it was this renewal each year of with a new dorm room came that new poster that was going to symbolize that new school year and that well, new symbol. At that age, you're changing more. And I you think are. as a lot of con attendees are getting older, that's also changing the dynamic. But I was also surprised walking through Artist Alley, and I mentioned this a little earlier, how many of the, the artists had a Doctor Who something or other? Mm. You know, and a lot of them had, here's the the 12 or 13 Doctors. I mean, even Kevin McGuire had one. And it was in kind of the iconic Justice League looking down at the group shot. Mm. And it's like, okay, that one's interesting. And there was another one that we saw at the back uh, of the hall that was that was interesting. But it's one of those that I had seen that, that one in the back of the hall at either Austin Comic Con or I think it was Staple one year, a couple of years back. And I'm like, ooh, that one's interesting. I, I like that one. And it was David Tennant at the time was the most recent. Uh. So it's already, that would have been two Doctors out of date. He's already added them, the, the Smith and Capaldi and even, I think, the, the John Hurt Doctor. And it's like, I know this is going to become obsolete at some point. 
Now, there was one Doctor Who piece that you pointed out to me that it took me a moment to catch on because I admittedly do not watch Doctor Who to the coolness factor of it. But somebody had done basically an evolution of the TARDIS over yes. the years. And once I got what they were doing, that, that did strike me as, okay, this looks A, unique, and B, because it's unique, very cool. I like that one. If anything, it felt a little small. Agreed, because it seemed to be even smaller than 11 by 17. Not by a lot, but agreed, but smaller it was, than that. Here's what the TARDIS looked like in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, I, I like that. And yeah. I think that was the same booth that had the, the, the other one I was talking about with yeah. the, the 13 Doctors. And the art was great. Mm -hmm. um, I'm blanking on which artist it was. But that's the kind of thing that if I had a wall at my office or at where I work, I don't even have an office, it's open space. It's not even a cubicle, it's a desk. If I had anywhere to put that kind of those sorts of things up, Frankly, that would have been enough for me to, to say, you know, I'll spend a couple of bucks on those things. Yeah. There are enough people at work that are serious Doctor Who fans that the TARDIS one and the 13 Doctors or whatever would have been good enough conversation pieces. Mm. I'd have plunked down 20 bucks each or whatever. Yeah, one thing I noticed, and that booth is actually a, a good example of, I really liked it. He had his art up. And very nicely displayed and very simply displayed, I'll say. Uh, kind of around the corner, there was another booth. Had all their art up on a very shiny paper with lights pointed mm -hmm. at it. And it sparkled. Don't get yeah. me wrong, it sparkled. It shined. Oh, it was gorgeous. And I looked at it and at first I thought, wow. And then I thought... I'm never going to be able to light it half that well. Mm -hmm. And in my home, it's going to pale in comparison. Yeah. And I'm going to be so disappointed. And I thought, I know that's not what the artist wants me to think. I know the artist wants me to see just how beautiful it is. But I, I, I totally get that. And there was one or two, we walked by, the artist wasn't there. All there was, I think, was a backdrop that had like, a Batgirl and Nightwing or whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, nice. I like the art style, whatever. That was a case where less was more. Yes. There were so many that we walked by that they had like every print they've ever done up there. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit of sensory overload. And that's part of why it doesn't take me all that long to walk the a hall floor like this is I'm looking for the new, the unique, not just the blitzkrieg of, of fire hose of colors and, and whatever. Mm -hmm. So, and there are one or two poses that, uh, like, there's a certain Chris Hemsworth pose. It seems like five or six artists are trying to kind of do the same pose of him because it's become kind of iconic. I would expect it probably maps either to the movie poster or some other press. Yeah, kind and, of the signature shot. Yeah, and I get that, but there was one guy who had done. I want to say like a, a Superman flying under a Superman logo and some things like that. And he just, he captured the motion, but he had each character with their logo and really just captured, I want to say a, a sense of the character's power yeah. with that motion. Well, and, and not I thought, just doing a standard 
pinup shot. Yeah, it was a really nice presentation. Oh, and the colors there again, because Superman was in flight. The color of the sky was so nice. And I thought, these are really nice. You know, going back to people aren't buying enough, what can be done for more? The guy who had the uh, the doctors and stuff with all of the, the different incarnations also had in the shadow the master. Yes, I think it's the master. Maybe it's the doctor of future, maybe it's not. And I'm like, you know, that I, he's not the doctor. Get him out of there. If he wasn't there, I might have bought the thing. But finding something that is different than most of the other people or a lot of the other people are going to have is a lot of it. If there was somebody there who had pinup shots either as just, you know, uh, uh, kind of the reference. There was the guy from Filmation uh, that we walked by in the middle aisle and up above, because he was also in Toronto in that artist alley. He-Man, She-Ra. He-Man, she yeah, They had the uh, Super Friends and Legion of Doom, and it was kind of almost reference shots of them. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, those are cool. Those are interesting. If somebody did... Uh, Art like that, that was well done, or at least to my liking, of like the 20 seasons, each of the 20 seasons of Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. They'd have gotten a fair amount of my money if they had done the same sort of thing, but it was in the, the team signature pose. They'd have gotten some of my money, mm-hmm. you know, because that's something it's like, you know, I just haven't seen that. And it's not can they do the art? It's is it accurate? You know, quote unquote, screen accurate, whatever. Is it to my my taste? Is is it a style I like? So it's not that I am an impossible mark at these things, but there's a certain. Well, it's not that I've stopped buying. It's that I've stopped filling my closet. To borrow one of your expressions from earlier, I realized I have a lot of poster tubes. They're just gathering posters because I've stopped hanging them on the walls. So I've stopped buying posters. I've started getting more realistic with my purchases. Or as our father once told me, you don't have to buy every knickknack just because you see it and you like it. Flip side, though, there are knickknacks I will buy if they're sufficiently cool. Yeah. If I go to one of these conventions and somebody has a prop replica that looks good of the Omni from the Voyager show mm. back in the, the late oh, 70s yeah. with John Eric Hexum, yeah. they're getting some of my money. Well, I told you as we had left the hall one day that uh, I saw a 11 by 17 for Justified. That had Tiff, uh, Timothy Oliphant mm-hmm. in one of his classic poses, kicked back, uh, holding the gun, um, justifies an excellent show. And up above him was the logo, uh, but it was portrait instead of landscape. So he's at the bottom half, not even really filling half of the poster. And I'm like, you know, if that had been landscape, I'd have at least looked to see what the price was. But given how little of the piece of paper it he should have filled. been landscape, the logo should have been in there, but one that most of it, it's at a distance, you don't really notice the logo, you notice the pose. Yeah. Because again, signature pose for the series. If you know what it is, you know what it is. Yeah. If you don't, either you look closer and you find out or whatever. But, but it was one of the things where I had to look down into the box to see that the pose was there because. That was, like, the bottom half of the box covered the whole pose. Yeah. And I I was so disappointed because when I saw the word justified and I came over, when I saw what was, I was tempted until I realized it just, 
isn't the temptation I thought it was. And I realized, you know, I am still in easy market times. I'm just not. I am convinced if I had uh, an artist who was game to try this type of a thing. And uh, actually, I would go with a 3D artist just because I could, could work out a little better that way. I could basically help them. Here's the couple of, of uh, Power Ranger ones you should do or the Doctor Who ones or a couple of things where it's like, I think these would sell well. Mm. You know? Um, just because I... I mean, there was one that we walked by. It had uh, headshots or whatever of 10 of the, the 13 Doctors or something. And it was a little incomplete. They just didn't have a few of them or whatever, but it was almost haphazardly set out, not even a here's one through whatever. Mm. And it's like, you know, that's not a bad idea. I could see people, that's my doctor, you know, kind of a thing. So there's there's stuff to be had. It's just nothing really popped uh, and hit my attention this time as a I must get. Mm. And didn't spend a whole lot of time on the floor because after that we did a lot of panels. I, while I was there, though, I didn't see tons of money changing hands. I'm sure there were some people who, who bought a lot of stuff and whatnot, but... I saw a lot of people carrying lightsabers, I gotta say. I can understand that. Those are cool. They are. You um, know, that's... I I certainly understand why those get purchased, and I I understand why those booths are there, and yeah. Well, and again, these guys keep coming back because it's worth their while. If it okay. stops being worth their while, they stop coming back. Um, but, you know, again, for me, I've been looking for, you know, a new comic series to go get. And even that's a, a dicey thing because I want something I haven't seen and heard of. So that's a certain, it's got to be almost low enough on the sales or under the radar enough, but high enough enough that I'll be able to find another issue before I hunt this guy down at another convention. And that's a, a narrowing range. Yeah. So after we walked the floor, we hit the writer's panel at 3.30 on Friday. And that was interesting because two guys, and we came, I came in a little late. Um, one of them seemed to have some interesting stuff to, to say and was talking into the mic. The other one, frankly, seemed a little bit more articulate, I assume, but can't tell because three mics on the table, two guys, and, and one was using a mic, the other one wouldn't bother to speak into it. And we were at the far end of the, the room because we came in late. And when you talk off mic, you just don't get heard. Yeah. It was very unfortunate. And it was the room that had the doors usually left open, a lot of hallway noise, and it was more or less directly above the part of the hall that had those kids from the vine. And whenever the girls would go screaming... Well, we were actually across oh, right. the hall at that point from, from the, the paid event the, for it. Yes, the paid event for the vine, and... Boy, the girls who show up for the vine, they squeal at regular intervals. It's, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if uh, Patrick Phillips emcees those girls. Because he trains people to squeal. Uh, that was the one you did the Christopher Judge panel? Yes. Okay. I had to yes. figure out who you were talking about. Yes. Um, but there were regular squeal intervals. Um, yeah, someday I'll figure out what that uh i don't even know what that paid event was called but anyways yes i was, thought that paid event was at four thirty, and it was opposite the podcast panel it, it one was, of many podcast panels it was officially at four thirty, but the girls were getting revved up and yeah they, they were, were already in there yeah they were starting to wait in that room i believe as early as like 2 30 or 3 wow that's dedication 
I do not understand yeah. what the fam tour is. I'm not sure I need to be educated in what the fam tour is, quite frankly. I, I, I do think you're out of the age demographic they're I targeting. Appear to be. Well, no, I used the wrong word. I do not appear to be since I recently got carded, but I consider myself to be out of the yeah. demographic. Uh, but yes, they they squealed enough that we could not hear the off mic gentlemen. Um, but now one of the things they did say, and it was before you entered the room, and it was interesting. They had four guys dressed up as Wolverine, or four people. Four I people. Say. <laughs> That's true. Um, and they were each different, differing heights. You're correct to correct me that they were four people because I'm not sure they were all men but they were talking each of them about the fact that different writers different creators will see the same basic character the same basic Wolverine entirely differently and they were describing what each of them saw when they looked at the four different Wolverines and the four different stories, be it comic books, whatever that they could get out of the four different Wolverines, mm -hmm. which I thought was a very interesting way to start their panel. I missed all of that because I was making a pit stop before yeah. going in. Yeah, And I came in partway through. They were on to, I believe, Wolverine number three as I came in. I'm like, what is going on here? And then I caught on. I'm like... That's actually a very interesting way to start a panel. Mm -hmm. It is. Great visual, great way to, to do mm -hmm. it and stuff like that. Um, yeah. After that panel was one of the podcasting panels. And that one got kind of a late start because the uh, uh, they, they didn't think they had the equipment and stuff like that. And this was the Con Radio uh, podcast that I guess Wizard is kind of starting up. And... Turns out they did have the equipment, but the guy who knew the equipment was there was running late. He wasn't there. The other guy who was there, which was uh, Aaron Segers, who, who moderated a number of panels, uh, didn't know the equipment was there. And it, it was interesting because uh, a lot of different podcasting styles and whatnot, these guys tended to have a morning radio talk show, uh, you know, the, the, the B-Morning Zoo kind of yeah. Uh, cliche sort of a thing um aaron sagers was attempting to play off the audience and fill time while waiting for mo lightning to show up and there are two very distinct ways i think he could have gone while doing that one was the very positive i see two people are in sidekick costumes why did you choose to dress as robin why did you choose to dress as aqualad and that's not the approach he took no he's like well i see aqualad i i see robin they're sitting fairly far apart what's what what's up with that you know and then goes into the what is the most uh, pointless sidekick and he was going for the comedic value and stuff, and I get it, and it was funny. But there's a certain amount of mocking of the characters. Mm -hmm. uh, not even a certain amount, it was blatantly what he was doing. But all, almost to the point of mocking the people who were dressed up as the characters. Yeah, and I can understand saying basically a witch has the least power, but if you're going to do that, I would think you would be picking on characters not in the room. Not yeah. characters in the room. 
And I would think if you're going to be pointing out characters in the room, you would be asking people, I see your hero's Robin. Why did you choose to dress up as Robin? Well, and it was one of those where as the conversation went on and the other, Mo Lightning got there and they started talking, they're talking about internet rumors and some stuff like this. It became more and more clear to me that most of their knowledge about these characters was from television, from movies, from cartoons, from video games, and not from the comics. Well, and uh, Mo Lightning, from what I could tell, is definitely associated with Wizard. I believe he's... I think he was listed as the voice of Wizard World or something. Yeah, and WrestlingAudio.com. And Aaron Sagers is listed as the editor-at-large of Blaster, and he works for NBC Universal. Right. So Aaron Sagers is definitely more on the TV side. But what got me was at one point they were mocking Jubilee as, as a pointless sidekick. And how they kind of were trying to use her to turn Wolverine into a more cuddly character. And it's like, okay, I, I can see the, the complaint there. It's it's somewhat valid. Now, granted, that was originally done using Kitty Pride a decade or two earlier, but okay. Her cost, Jubilee's costume was a knockoff on, on Robin's. Okay, valid critique there. But, oh, what do you mean she's a vampire now? And I'm like, you know, actually, Jubilee's gone through from being the pyrokinetic, you know, a uh, teeny bopper or whatever, to not having powers, because she was depowered in uh, uh, the House of M, No More Mutants, that whole thing, to having technology-based powers when she was part of, I think it was a New Warriors group, but I could be wrong on which group it was, and then later, uh, more recently, turned into a vampire, and she's currently one of the main stars of one of the, the uh, Brian Wood X-Men book. And they're like, well, what do you mean she's a vampire? Where did that come from? It's like, so you're not reading the X-Men? Okay. And yet they were talking about the Avengers movies and the X-Men movies and seeming to be talking about X-Men allegedly knowledgeably. And when Mo Lightning, because they were talking about the TV stuff and the Flash, he's like, yeah, I, I really don't know anything about the Flash or his rogues gallery. I'm like, okay, I can see... In some cases, not knowing a, a lot about the villains of certain characters, the Flash within DC has probably the second, maybe third, most recognizable set of villains in the DC universe. Behind Batman, maybe behind Superman. But just as a the villains almost are a de facto team with the Flash. And I get that, again, I've read more than a lot of people, that kind of stuff... But to to take one of the longer-running DC characters with one of the more definitive villain characters in group to say, yeah, I know nothing about him. A little surprising, particularly since they're coming up on a TV show, you could do a little research, you know? So there's a certain aspect of me that was part of what prompted me to, to start the Comic Book Page podcast years and years and years ago is I know that I've got more history with these characters than a lot of people do. There's a lot I can explain to people or, or bring to the table on that. Well, and it's why I pester you into letting me watch Arrow with you. Mm -hmm. So I can ask questions and say, what about this and what about that? And let me know what I'm missing. Or with Arrow, I don't think it's missing, but what's the, the origin joke. and the insight or, and stuff like that? You know, yeah. And again, nothing wrong with people who don't know those things. But when I go to a comic book convention, there are people who are 
purportedly uh, insiders and more knowledgeable and stuff like that, it's just a little funny. Um, and then after that, we went to the uh, Christopher Judge panel. I love Christopher Judge panels. I've been loving them for over a decade. He was Teal'c in uh, Stargate SG-1. Yes. Um, he's done voiceover work since, but that's the main thing he's known mm-hmm. for. He is a lot of fun. He seems to be a really great guy. Tells some very entertaining stories. He made the comment during the panel that, you know, when he first got the role of Teal'c, he told the writers and them that he thought Teal'c should, you know, be a bit mysterious. He shouldn't talk too much. And suddenly he was saying indeed and that was about it well yeah he, he he mentioned that they took it a little further than he expected and his memorization of lines of dialogue came down to thank you o'neill and indeed so he had a lot of time on his hands but then later his character becomes essentially one of the lead spokespeople senator you know uh political figures and he's got these long soliloquies and he's like, well, the actors have this thing called the hand test. Can you put your hand over the script and know that dialogue? And he went from he puts a, a one finger down to he puts both hands. And his hands are big. Yes, they are. He's not a small fellow. And he's like, you know, he, he got to where he could get a lot more lines of dialogue memorized. And he mentioned that Rick, Richard Dean Anderson, apparently went from the, the one finger to about the half finger kind of a, a yeah. thing. Of course, at that point, Richard Dean Anderson had been doing weekly television series for about 20 years straight really so what a career yeah um i i can see where there comes a point of you know i'm just a little tired yes Uh, yes yeah well and one christopher judge's other stories that i had not heard before and i positively loved was where kel norreeming came from Oh, right. That's And he didn't really explain that that was the meditation technique or whatever. But he did explain that, you know, he was younger and he was, you know, the type who would go out and carouse and carouse he did. Because he wasn't having to learn much dialogue, so he had time. He had time. Didn't have to. Yeah. The thank you, O'Neill. Once he got that down, he got it down. And he had time for that. So he actually, at one point, at one of the briefing room scenes, fell asleep. And I, I guess it was Peter DeLuise or somebody calls him on this as they're shooting. They're shooting him from behind the camera. He hears, Chris, Chris, wake up, Chris. He's like, what? what? I wasn't sleeping. Hey, well, what were you doing? It's like, well, Duke has just lost his, his, his wife, his son, and left them on another plane. You know, whatever. He's, he's, he's got all this to do. He's got a lot more on his mind. Then, then this little briefing or whatever. He was he, he was meditating. Oh, okay, never mind. And then the next script, suddenly he's got this whole Kellner reaming meditation and all this stuff. And he's like, they just gave me license to sleep on set. I mean, the guy is hilarious. Uh, oh, Christopher he's, Judge, he's... Yo, I love him. He's great. To this day, my favorite, favorite from when we went to Dragon Con was when somebody asked, Tony Amendola was doing a panel with Christopher Judge, and somebody asked Tony Amendola, what was your favorite practical joke on set on Stargate? And he said, yes, Chris, 
That's a great idea. Because Christopher Judge would, would hey, I, I've got this idea, Tony. I, I think for this training sequence and stuff that we're doing out in, in the winter and the cold, I'm going to do it without a shirt. Yes, Chris, that's a great idea. Just to encourage him to do the crazy stuff he was thinking about doing. And it's like, okay, Tony's not a practical joker, but he's got a sense of humor. Because hey. uh, Tony Amidala played uh, Braytac, the, the Obi-Wan Kenobi, if you will, to uh, to Christopher Judge's Teal'c character. More recently, he played um, Geppetto on um, uh, Once Upon a Time. Yeah, yes. Well, uh, and Tony said that uh, Chris came up to him and said, yeah, now that I'm shirtless, I think at the end of the scene, when they call cut, I should drop to the ground in the snow and make snow angels. Yes, Chris, that's a good idea. Um, also, uh, Tony Amidala was in uh, Continuum. Oh, God. As, um... Oh, how can I not remember his character name oh, in Continuum? I'm blanking on his name. Uh, uh, he was the lead of the, the Liberate group um, that goes back in time and all that stuff. Yes, and I can't believe I can't remember his name because he was so wonderful there. He was in season one. A little bit in season two, but mostly in season one. He's excellent. Tony yeah. Amendola, he was in one of the Zorro movies. You've seen Class him. act, great guy, yeah. uh, excellent. Uh, you've seen him in far more than you know you've seen him in. I'll put it that yeah. way. So, yeah, Christopher Judge did a fantastic panel. Um, there are a few questions that come up at panels that I do and I don't like. Uh, we were talking after the con about... There are pros and cons to people who go up to the microphone and say, you know, sort of like we were doing just now. You know, I was at San Diego Comic-Con X number of years ago, and you told the story from when you were filming right. the Stargate movies. Would you tell this audience that story? And, you know, that's what happened during the Christopher Judge panel. And I looked at John when that happened, and, I, you know, just leaned over, and I'm like, they're great stories. And and I get that, but there does come a point where it's a dance monkey, you know? And it's like, asking those questions, Yeah, it's tough to do it right. It, it usually, in this case, gets a good story out, but doing it in a manner where it's not just, yes, I've heard this, and I think you should regale it to this crowd, as if you've got a one-on-one -on -one connection with the person. Which, yeah, not what was happening there. But doing it in a way where it prompts the right story and not the, what are you talking about? Oh, you know, kind of, mm -hmm. it, it can work. It can backfire. It worked here fine. Um, but it's one of those where I was surprised how many of the people were asking questions that were either implying they had a little more insider knowledge or whatever, or just had seen them at other conventions or was it very much, can I have, can I get, can I, yeah, there throughout the convention, there was the can I have your placard, your name placard off the table mm -hmm. when the panel is over. Uh, the moderator from the Christopher Judge panel um, was the Patrick Phillips. And I was looking in the program to see if it said the name of his radio show because he did an excellent job. He's got something here in town. And mm -hmm. I don't know if we've seen him in past Wizard Worlds here or not. I think we might have. He's... Good sense of humor. Excellent. Plays the crowd really well. Mm -hmm. uh, definite polish to his, his presentation style. Excellent moderator. 
And mm-hmm. moderating one of those things is is not a breeze. I mean, I, I moderated a panel at, at Wizard World Austin a couple of years back. And, you know, these guys do it much better than I did. No question about that. Well, this guy came out before the panel, had a little chat with the audience, you know, formed he was the a rapport. Yeah. And I thought that was a brilliant move. Oh, let's do a little trivia. What about this? And just get get the crowd. Mm-hmm. Active, engaged, not noticing what time it is. Not that the thing started late, but it's like, hey, you're here, I'm here, let's do something. Well, and created a little shtick, if you will, where he said, you know, I'm going to drop down behind the podium and when I pop out, I want you to scream and make me feel like the most famous guy on earth. Mm -hmm. And at one point when the panel could have veered off course and he realized, uh uh-oh, he dropped down behind the podium and popped up and everybody cheers and he feels like the most famous guy on earth. And then he talks into the mic and takes the panel right back on path. He set up a few things before the panel with the audience mm-hmm. that he could use to, I need a bright, shiny object right now to distract and rearrange. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of times Chris uh, Christopher Judge did the same thing. Christopher Judge loved the whole because he, you know, the moderator told him about the whole watch this, you know, and pop up. And he's like, wow, this is cool. And he tried it once or twice. And he's like, man, I wish my first wife had known this. Yeah. It was great. So that was that was a fun panel. Yeah. And then after that, Derek Royal of the Comics Alternative had gotten into town, was at his hotel. So we headed over there. Picked him up, did dinner with him, chatted with him. Good good conversation. Yeah. Great guy. I'm going to admit that was a tough choice because Manu Bennett was that night. And I always enjoy Manu's pals. But I've seen Manu multiple times. So I made the tough choice to go to an excellent dinner with a friend instead mm-hmm. of being a repeat offender at a panel I've been to before. Yeah. Well, you got to pick and choose what you're going to do. Do you hang with friends? Do you go to some of these panels? Maybe you've seen them. Maybe you get different stories. You know, whatever. Yeah. And, I mean, Manu is always so much fun. He's got a great sense of humor, and he tells such great stories. And And I was interested in that one, too, because I'm a little curious if he takes any pride in the fact that Deathstroke's getting a series again. Because Deathstroke started with a series in the New 52, and it didn't last all that long. Um, And that would be an interesting question. And there were a lot of people dressed up as Arrow and Deathstroke. Yes. I mean, there was a lot of good Arrow cosplay here at the convention. And Flash, for that matter. I even saw a Golden Age Flash today at one of the panels. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, there was some good cosplay and stuff. Um, Going on to to Saturday, today. Yes. it was one of those where the podcasting panel that Derek and I were doing with um, uh, another fellow, Cole Houston, um, out of, out of again, the Dallas area. Uh, that was going to be at 11 a.m. I was a little worried again. We've got the football game. We've got ACL, all this kind of stuff. I don't know how downtown's going to be. We headed in early, which was good. Uh, it gave us a chance to get to the room we were going to do the panel in test out the audio, get things set up. Now, I haven't actually listened to the audio we did to the panel, so I'm hoping it turned out fine. It looks like it should have. Um, but that was kind of cool just to actually have some room because typically in San Diego, it is a walk in the room after another panel is just finished and, you know, um, you've got just a few minutes 
to to go set up and you know okay you've, you've again walked in got to get your equipment out get it set up test the thing get onto the panel and you're going in about that amount of time and with this you know we had a half hour or whatever to just go play around and Derek and I both had the new Zoom H5s can we and fortunately we were able to plug it into the board through an XLR thing I had a mini jack to mini jack thing so it could go from my line out to his line in and and all of that um and gave us a little chance to actually, you know, for me to meet Cole, talk with him uh, before we actually started the panel. He turns out great guy, great guy. Used to work at Diamond, used to have a retail store uh, that he ran on weekends and whatnot at, I think, a different time or whatever. Had done the con circuit, does a, a Hey Kids Comics podcast. And it was a, a podcast or a panel about podcasting, but it's one of those. Sometimes it takes the form of, well, how do we do it? Sometimes it's a, what do you think of the state of the industry? You know, it, it can go in a lot of different directions. Well, and you guys are always very open to what do the people in the room want to hear? Mm -hmm. and, and this is, time it was very much the how-to. Yeah, it's very important, I think, to be responsive to what does that crowd want? Mm -hmm. And the questions were very much a, just give us a from start to finish, how we do this. How do we, I don't want to say be like you, but go well, onto the air. And that was the thing. I had my experiences. Um, Derek has had his. Cole has had his. And we covered, I think, between the, the three of us, you know, a fair amount of, of history and, and different approaches and different types of podcasting and whatnot. Cole made some very interesting comments about how when he first started podcasting, he was doing just a one man, I think he even referred to it as a rant at one point. Mm -hmm. And after just a few episodes, it was very hard for him to motivate himself to record every week, to keep a schedule. I, I had the same thing. I started the comic page just solo at the beginning of 2007, got a couple episodes out. Life gets in the way. It's easy to say, I'll just do it tomorrow or the next day, and then it's a week later, <coughs> and then two weeks later, and then whatever. Um, that's why I think for me and for a lot of people, having that co-host helps a lot. Well, it's so much easier as a dialogue. I can't imagine doing this without you. Well, and I'll be honest, I've toyed around with the idea of, do I want to try to do a couple of episodes that are just solo ones? Something on either Here's How to Podcast or, or something where I've got a very clear agenda and almost like more of a, it really, it's more of a speech at that point. Yeah. But that takes a little more prep time, a little more work, etc. Well, people have asked me if I've considered doing uh, basically behind the scenes recollections mm -hmm. from when I was a production assistant on TV shows. I'm like, you know, I guess I could, but even that, I'm not sure. I certainly couldn't fill the 44 minutes of the TV show, even when I worked the entire episode. Yeah. I just, I can't imagine having anything that interesting, even with the crazy stories I recall from those episodes, to fill the time. And with no one to bounce off of, or I want to say to measure yourself against... No one to talk to, nobody to ask questions either for clarification or you, you've got zero immediate feedback. Yeah. And part of why I think these conversations work is, one, we just went to the same convention, but two, you know, you'll say something, oh, yeah, I, I, I forgot about this or I forgot about that and you can correct me or whatever. And if you're just there by yourself doing it, 
And, and Chris Marshall, I mean, he's been doing the Collected Comics Library as a solo podcast for seven, eight years or some such. And he it's has like, my utmost respect. I, I tried to do something like that, and frankly, I failed. You know, mm-hmm. not to say at this point now that I'm in the habit of doing the weekly thing that I couldn't do that. It's just I like having somebody to bounce off of. Mm-hmm. You know, the only episodes I'm doing solo really are the the preview spotlights, which I actually need to get one of those put together tomorrow on Sunday uh, for it to go up on this, this the Wednesday after the convention, but probably before this episode goes up. Um, but a lot of that's just playing clips and then a little bit at the end. Mm hmm. Um, but doing a solo one is is a tough act. And in the forty five minutes of the panel, we covered everything. A, a, really, a lot of ground. How to get started. Um, a little bit on recording, editing, posting. Not necessarily the the nuts and bolts. Here's click this, do this, step A. You know, type thing. But the importance of picking your topic, understanding your uniqueness, and what you bring to the forum, if you will, and yeah. I think we gave people a lot to think about if they're at that point of, I'm interested in doing a podcast. What yeah. kind of a time commitment it was, what the steps were involved, where to go find better information or more information, either from us or other people, where to go look for inspiration, where not to, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and what the difference was between streaming and being an actual podcast. Oh, and or being on a podcast. Yes. Kind of, you know, like you are right now yes. versus the... You know, being on a, a podcast as the the guy who's like, okay, I got to record it, I got to edit it, I got to post it and stuff. And you, you help with all that, too. But, I mean... But you guys talked them through. You level the audio levels, which right. sounded quite redundant the way I phrased it. But talking to them about Levelator and Audacity and the various programs and or trunking. band and stuff like that. Yeah. Trunking the silence and just literally, as you said, the nuts and the bolts. And you talked with them about the uh, Zoom equipment and how much money you did or did not have to invest. Mm-hmm. To, to make it go and honestly I don't want to skip to the end or near the end of our day but I think it makes sense quite it honestly. does because it's it's actually a very similar panel ours was uh, comic podcasting and blogging was the name of the panel and we covered a lot of the how to and then later in the day there was an actual uh, panel called how to podcast and these were uh, three different podcasts there were five people were there, yeah, five people on the panel, and one of them was a zombie podcast. Zombie Life Podcast, Loitering and, and the Pop Pod were the names of the okay. three podcasts. So the zombie uh, cast. Zombie Life. Zomb- zombie zombie Life, Life Podcast. Was the one about, you know, zombies and, and that sort of, you know, horror type stuff. The um, pod one was just a, a general pop culture, mm-hmm. movies, sports, television, comics, whatever. Uh, the the other one was actually really, and they're all local podcasts here in Austin that I'd never heard of, to be honest. Uh, not that I've gone and looking for a zombie podcast, just not what I'm into. And they're all under two years. Each individual one is under two years old. Both the pod one and the, the zombie one were under two years. The other one's only a couple of months old. The other one, though, the the loitering and basically they hang out and I guess they stream or because it's like, well, what they do is they hang out outside of a restaurant just loitering and they talk to people 
and they they bleep out or whatever, edit out the name of the place, and there's like a contest of can you guess where we're at? Mm-hmm. From what I got out of what they were saying, they record an interview because he was saying at one point they recorded like three hours of material with the yeah. people and then edited it down to about an hour and 15 minutes of the most interesting bits. And I'm like, that concept of a podcast, I'm just going to hang out outside of a place and just chat and, and do this for a couple hours and then, then whittle this down. And it'll be an interesting mm-hmm. thing. That never would have occurred to me. Mm. And I don't know that I'm necessarily the target audience, but there's an aspect of me that thinks, you know, that's just a a phenomenally interesting idea. Yeah, he was saying that, you know, sometimes it feels like it's kind of the hang out by the dumpsters in the parking lot behind X restaurant and see what kind of interesting people show up to eat at that restaurant that night and what kind of stories they have to tell. And in a town like Austin, which calls itself the live music capital of the world. Well, and the city motto is keep Austin weird. And I, yeah, I tweeted Aaron Sagers at one point. Yes, you definitely kept Austin weird with your panel today. Thank you. Um, Yeah, he, he moderated a few. But this was one where these guys, they had a very different... Outlook on a number of things. They're podcasting about very different things than Derek Cole or I were. And, and it made for an interesting kind of a bookend. Yeah, their panel was very good. They were talking about once you've got your podcast, what do you do? How mm-hmm. do you get it up there? How do you get it out there? How do you get listeners? What do you do with hashtags and with Twitter and uh, with Facebook? And one of the guys was talking about, you know, he gives T-shirts to the person who first guesses what restaurant they were behind. And there was a lot of very practical, you know, uh, reach out to the promotions people for whoever you're hoping to interview. and Hustle to get the stuff out there and get listeners. And, you know, well, if you want to do interviews... Except that you may send out 10 or 20 requests and only hear back one positive for every 20. But hey, you got one positive. Along those lines, the best advice they gave, and they were very clear and gave good concrete, here's how it worked for us. If you want to interview somebody, ask. Yes. And the guy had, uh, I guess it was one of the head people for the sci-fi channel when they were spinning up another channel that was relevant to what he was doing. Uh, he, he basically found, okay, who's their press people? That's their press people. Here's who's in charge. Let me contact them. And lo and behold, the guy said, yeah, I, I would like to be on the thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it was shot in the dark, but it worked. Yeah. You know, so they had some great ideas, some interesting stuff. Um, again, very different than, again, the the panel Derek, I, and, and Cole did, of more specifically towards comics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and even there... Cole's attitude was, yeah, I don't really read enough to be, like, the source for reviews and stuff like that. So that's not what he set out to do. Whereas, flip side, I do read a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, for Marvel and DC, I can probably tell you some interesting stuff about any of their main titles or whatever. So, find your niche, all that kind of stuff. Between the two panels, it's funny because I think their description seemed a little more descriptive of what we talked about in the morning and our description a little more about what they talked about in the afternoon ironically yeah but it was in response to the questions that got asked during the panels exactly i think which was part of the irony both panels were really good very different 
mm -hmm. um, and very complimentary, which I appreciated. Yeah, and both panels were recorded. I know you plan to put yours up as a podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the guys on their panel, and I want to say it was David uh, from Loitering And, recorded theirs and said that they're going to put it up as a podcast. And I asked him to email you the link when it goes up and make sure you can put it up. Because I really think it is. It's a one-two punch for anyone who's interested either in doing their own podcast or just knowing what kind of effort is going in. Well, and I'm um, curious how their recording turned out because they had a Zoom H4N that they had just kind of like on a tripod thing behind them mm -hmm. uh, with a uh, one of the dead cat. Uh, it looks like a Tribble as a, a windscreen. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, that's behind them. They're facing the other way. But this is also the guy that does that loitering well, podcast. And, it's like, he must know what he's doing. Well, and uh, the speakers were in the ceiling above them. Oh, you know, I hadn't thought about the speaker aspect. Yes. And uh, William, on the end, made an interesting remark that I believe pertains particularly to your listeners. Mm -hmm. And that was that every one of your listeners can do you the huge favor of just mentioning on Facebook that they listened to your podcast and they enjoyed it and posting a link or mentioning to a few of your, their friends that they listened to your podcast. Have they ever checked it out? Because the best advertising any podcast can have is word of mouth from people who actually listen to it. And that's actually worth more than any link you post. Because quite frankly, people don't pay as much attention to you talking about yourself as they pay attention to someone else it, talking about you. Entirely. Because if I say... It was, it's a great podca podcast. It's like, what am I going to say? Yeah, mine sucks? No. Yeah, really. But it, it's something that if listeners go out, post reviews on iTunes, uh, like it on Facebook or, or yeah. t retweet it or whatever and get yeah. the word out there. I mean, that's something, frankly, I would really appreciate listeners doing Yeah. because it gets the word out there. It gets more listeners and it's, it's a cycle of a virtuous cycle that that's uplifting or whatever versus you know a downward spiral of doom or some such but it's one of those where the preview spotlights um and again i got great feedback and, and input from the listeners this time almost an hour of content right there which is in incredible i always enjoy hearing from you just how much people are sending in because i think Ultimately, that is one of the best forms of feedback you get is people contributing. Well, and this time the clips all pretty much came in early, so I had time to do it before getting sucked into the convention this weekend. But the more listeners we've got, the more people who can feed into that, it, it, it just gets better and better the more mm -hmm. people spread the word. Um, you know, evangelizing what you love is really what fandom is all about. Yeah. Um, and again, those guys uh, at the the panel this afternoon really covered all of that. Well, and when we were down on the floor this afternoon, we walked by a booth and we actually stopped at the other half of it because I wanted to crack a joke to an artist. And we did double take to the first half. At that point, I had already kind of realized that this was the Red Giant Entertainment booth. Yeah, and you were looking down and what I realized you were saying was... I know about what you're doing because one of my listeners sent in a clip about your stuff. Last month, the uh, one of the listeners sent in a clip about uh, some of the Red Giant Entertainment um, kind of double feature books they're doing. 
and it's like DCBS had them for a dollar or something, and it's like these are interesting things. I almost missed them entirely, and for the seventy-two pages for a dollar each, four different books. It's like uh, I'll I'll try that, and then I saw them again this month in previews, and it's like they're doing something here. They're this company, and, and talking with the guy at, at the booth, um, they are very much trying to be an outreach program for comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Red Giant Entertainment has some really uh, innovative ideas, and you know, working with uh, partnering with Toys R Us to get comics through there. It's kind of a you go, you buy a video game, and in your bag with the video game is here's a, a set of the comics. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like that that that's a good deal well and he was showing us some uh, pages from upcoming comics and i loved the color schemes if you will that well, each book had this unique look and it was kind of a this book had these gorgeous blue pages as he was skimming by them and i'm like i just really want to dive into that book because it just draws you in there's no house style these are being done by guys who've worked at marvel and dc and other publishers they're not just you know neophytes or anything these guys know their craft Mm -hmm. and it's professionally put together stuff combined with that the aggressive outreach program they're trying to do this is something i want to get behind this is something i want to support because his attitude and i i left his business card upstairs uh, when we got home i didn't think to have it down when we were recording and I should have I'll, I'll mention this when I actually do the clip for the mm, Red Giant mm-hmm. stuff yeah um but they're very much treating this as an outreach program for comics and they realize uh, rising tide lifts all ships yes definitely. it benefits the retailers it benefits the other publishers it benefits the artists it benefits the readers it benefits it's a win-win-win-win-win for everybody mm-hmm. I love that attitude and you know, I, I want to support that. And again, a listener told me about that. Yeah. So the more feedback I get, the happier I am. Because with the exception of like the panel this morning, normally when I'm talking in front of a mic, there's nobody in the room with me. Not even the co-host, except in these cases with you. I so feel I, special. You are. Because normally, uh, you know, when I'm recording with Drew or Sam or Chris, it's over Skype. Yeah. So getting the email of, hey, I like what you're doing and stuff, uh, that's the kind of thing that keeps me going. Getting the, the clips and the feedback and stuff for the, the preview spotlight, that's literally what keeps those episodes going. Well, no. there, there was a point where it, you know, I was questioning, do I keep doing the preview spotlight? If I don't get enough submissions and it's mainly just me, you know what? what's the point in that? That was one of the things that came up after that second podcasting panel as they were kind of wrapping up their equipment and stuff was all the guys from that panel were saying that the hardest thing for any podcaster is to, it feels like pry feedback out of their listeners. And Mm -hmm. they, they said they wished one of them could come up with some method to persuade listeners to reply, to let them know, yes, I heard you, and and send a missive into the ether of, I'm here, I heard you. As a podcast listener, what I find is I tend to listen on my commute to work. Mm. I'm not in a position where I can just email them or give yeah. them the feedback or whatever. If the device I was using, in this case an old school iPod, had the ability for me to, through my car, steering wheel and dashboard and stuff, magically pause the podcast record a thing that i could Mm. then queue up to go send to the guy 
that would do it. Shy of that miracle of technology, I don't know. Can you, like on my iPod, I'm pretty sure I can like hit four stars and say, I like this one. Can people at least do that and rate the podcast and it let you know? It doesn't go into the iTunes rating. Oh, that's unfortunate. That's just your private rating of the thing. That's unfortunate. But I mean, I get Even that why. would help. Oh yeah, totally. It would feel good. It would help, but actually getting yeah. the, you know... I've actually gotten more feedback on the episodes we've done. Which I appreciate. He forwards it to me. Oh, Thank yeah. you, I everyone. love getting that. You know, it, you like the episodes on, on the TV shows. Great. We'll keep doing them. Yes, yes. You know? But definitely. I've gotten more feedback on those than I have on, like, really any weekly comic spotlight that, that Drew and I have. Now, maybe I've gotten some good feedback on those, too. Hey, Drew's a good co-host, all that stuff. But, you know, we're reviewing comics Three comics a week, each and every week. We're at, uh, with Drew, 70-some-odd episodes in. And, you know, it's not like I want somebody to say, oh, your your rating for this was wrong or something. But, you know, if you've got another opinion or you think I missed something or I should read this if I like that, I love that kind of feedback. Yeah, yeah. You know, because at the heart of it, podcasting about comics is generally an attempt to take the kinds of conversations that used to be happening and in many cases still are at the local comic shop get them in a more consistent basis and share that with a wider audience Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because what i always found when i got my comics at a local store i could have some great conversations some weeks and just when i'm in there the next there's there's nobody that's that's on the same wavelength or want to talk or i don't have the time or you know whatever Mm -hmm. but i mean um, when I used to shop at uh, Comic Gallery in Mira Mesa back when we lived in San Diego, I would have lengthy conversations with Joe who worked there just because he had a really good knowledge of comics. He was fun to talk to on that stuff. It was highlight a highlight of my week sometimes. It's just, you know, he knows his stuff. He's got interesting thoughts, introduces me to new comics. It was, it was awesome. And if I can do that sort of a thing, for people, introduce them to be it continuum as we've talked about that or having someone tell me that they actually went and watched a movie that they didn't think they wanted to watch because they listened to our podcast about the uh, the Tom Cruise movie. Edge of uh, Tomorrow, yeah. Thank you. I was starting to call it uh, Live, Die, Repeat, which is what they're naming. That's their the, new tagline, the, but it's also DVD, All I yeah. Need is Kill. Yes. Um, but when they walked up to me at San Diego and said they'd walked away from a conversation, then they came back and they said, by the way, I only watched a movie at the theater because I listened to the podcast and I loved the podcast so much. I said, all right, all right, I'll go see that movie I didn't want to see. And then I loved the movie. Thank you. One of my favorite pieces of feedback I got recently was from Jason Kim, listener in Hawaii, who's been sending in clips to the preview spotlight. He had sent in a clip last month, month before, about the Dragon's Lair comics store, no relation to the one here in town, but the one there in Hawaii, mm-hmm. and had since heard back from the owner that people have actually gone into the store having mentioned the podcast. Awesome. And I'm like, you know, I, technically, I really didn't have a whole lot to do with that. Jason recorded the yeah, clip. Yeah. Jason was pimping the store there. Jason told me about this. Jason's really the hero of the story. But my little piece was I actually put the thing, got it on the air, got it out there. 
And I love the fact that it actually got people into a comic store. That's incredible. Yes, that's wonderful. And my little doubly awesome is finding out you have more than the one listener in Hawaii, which I didn't know. Yes. I mean, to me, it's a win-win all the way around. It is. It's fantastic. And I love that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Whenever somebody says, I am reading this because you mentioned it and I love this book, Mm -hmm. that's a win. Yeah. And again, the... The, the panel this morning that we did, the one later in the day, even the, the, the con radio stuff, all of this is about sharing a love of fandom. Yeah, definitely. Which is the whole point of, of conventions to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, interesting panels. We chatted with them afterwards, the guys who did the one later in the day, about maybe teaming up, getting a little more organized or coordinated for next year and such. Well, yeah, the... What I mentioned to them was just that this year it was an accidental, almost a podcasting university. And maybe next year do a deliberate one, work together, maybe be on one other's mm-hmm. panels and just do a more intentional effort. Because apparently there are quite a few people here in Austin who want to learn about podcasting. And the, the funny thing about that is when I was starting up with the Comic Book Page podcast, I was a very active member of the podcasting meetup group that we had here. I learned a lot from uh, Fred Castaneda, uh, who's one of the other people who's uh, leading it up at the time. And really, it was it was hard to find other people that would come on a regular basis. It just it yeah. wasn't the right thing at the right time. But now there's a lot of people podcasting. I, I hadn't realized there were so many here in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just finding a better way to network uh, uh, with them, I think, would be fun. Yeah, I think it could be great. So, now, between those two panels... Hmm. We had a busy day. We had a busy day. After the uh, the podcasting panel, we chatted with Cole and uh, and Derek for a bit. And then we went to the Katie Cassidy panel. She plays uh, Laurel Lance in Arrow. This was a panel, I have to admit, I was moderately determined to go to. I just had to find out if she was, first of all, as sweet as she comes across on Arrow. I would say more so. Yeah. I mean, she she freely admitted she's a little bit of a, she didn't use the term method, but she gets into the character. Yeah. And it was a fairly dark season for Laurel in season two. Yeah, I, I would place her very much like she wasn't back at the pilot. Yeah. You know, just just very much that um that uh, that defense lawyer she doing the pro bono work, you today know. Today very happy, very mm-hmm. pleased and felt like she was kind of blessed to have this role, very lucky, very, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and she was very good about not spoiling any of the stuff that they're shooting right now. The hashtag Aaron Sagers used after the panel was I got the jacket. Yes, because she mentioned at the end of season two, she got the, the, the Black Canary jacket. The one thing she, I don't want to say spoiled or gave away, but demonstrated, is she's like, you want to see my bicep at one point? And, and Aaron, the, the moderator, is like, uh, yeah. And she, she does the thing, and it's like, the definition, it's like, Wow. I had seen on her IMDb page, the, you know, the list uh, and most actors and actresses have it of the various things that they did in the form of training over the years to build up their resume, you know, and she had done gymnastics and various things. And a lot of them did the dancing and the gymnastics as children. But she was saying, you know, she still does the pull ups. I think and she's. She flat out said as much. 
Because somebody asked, well, what about the whole salmon ladder thing? Where I think I was video recording at this point. I hope so. I want that to go viral on YouTube. Mm, I'll work on it. Because she's, uh, the whole salmon ladder thing, when Ollie is doing the pull-up, throws the bar up to the next rung, pull-up, throw the bar up, and does that a couple of times, and she's like, yeah, I, I think I can do that. Oh, yeah, I think and she And I'm could. like, you know, it's it's impressive as all get out when he does it. Oh, yeah. And if she's like, oh, yeah, that's nothing, watch this. And Cool, yeah. The one, it'd be impressive to mm. watch, given... Her, her her bicep it's like I, i'm sure she could do it but just from a character point of view the evolution the putting ollie in his place oh yeah the evolution of laurel especially from where she was in season two to putting ollie in his place by doing the salmon ladder by halfway through to the end of season three that would be a true redemption in whatever and mo- arrow movement. cave they have in oh, season yeah. three. Ollie doing that and her it's yeah, it's like, well fine, you do it then. And she does it. I can just see Felicity and and Diggle being there just kind of ooh man, you got owned or some such. Oh yeah. You oh, know, it'd the, be great. The scene would be awesome. Oh yeah. Um yeah. so that was she was just really cool. Uh, really nice, gave some really good answers to the questions. Incredibly both gracious, but so thankful to everyone present for coming to the panel, for watching the show, Mm -hmm. and just very cognizant of the fact that without an audience, there's no show, there's no career, there's... Well, Stephen Amell gave that kind of impression, Mm -hmm. you know, the thankfulness and whatnot. Yeah. It, It seems to be ingrained in as near as I can tell from the few we've seen, the culture of the show. And yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. There's absolutely, positively no spoiled starlet aspect to this young lady. She is just 100% sweet and wonderful to the point that when she came out and she found out there was someone in Arrow cosplay, she wanted to give them a high five before she started her panel. Mm-hmm. She's like, you're supporting the show. Thank you, kind of a thing. Yeah. So, really cool. Uh, really she nice. She did not want to high five. Um, Deathstroke. Thank you. She's like, yeah, I'll stay away from the Deathstrokes. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, you th- you think of all of the uh, you know, Shadow and uh, uh, Moira. We spend a little too much time with Deathstroke yeah, and really. we're, we're worse off because of, although Shadow not directly because of him, but still. Yeah, well, you know. Um. It was just one of those nicely in-character things that yeah. she slipped in. That it was just so adorably done that I was like, yeah, she's just so sweet. So that was that was a fun panel. I'm glad we did that. Mm-hmm. After that, we uh, met back up with Derek, headed over to uh, 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 the hot dog place again for, for lunch because it's easy walk from the convention center. Chili cheese fries. Gotta say, I'm loving that place. Just saying. I don't eat downtown often, so, you know, when we do the convention, it's like, yeah, we got to go there. Uh, so it was fun. Uh, did that. Great conversation again with Derek. Mm-hmm. Uh, love hanging out with him. A lot of fun. Then we headed back to the convention center. 
Now, we did sacrifice uh, J. August Richards. Panel. It was one of those things. There were panels I wanted to do all day. Yeah, and, you know, that's the sign of a good convention. Yes. That's what I'm going to say. And, you know, I had seen a few comments online about the fact that this being a Thursday, Friday, Saturday convention, it was suffering. It wasn't very good. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was torn between, do I want to be in room nine? Do I want to be in ballroom A? It There was a lot of good stuff going on. Well, and to accentuate that even further, you could walk into any room at any time. Yes. Yes. Never any lines that I ever saw. And frankly, if we'd gotten bored in one room, we could have just walked straight into the next and gotten right in. Yeah. It's not like, oh man, if I get in the line for this, I'm, I'm guaranteed not to get into something else or they're going to clear the room out. So if I go here, I can't go to the one after it in this room. You know, none of that. Mm-mm. No. It, it, the, the, the con was your oyster, so to speak. Um, yeah. And I loved that aspect about it. It was, yeah, it was fantastic. So when we got back uh, from, from lunch, it was the uh, Jason David Frank panel. Yeah. Now, I'd seen him last year at uh, at this convention, I think it was, and in I've been watching his, his uh, My Morphin Life uh, podcast, or uh, YouTube stuff, so I, I knew kind of what I was getting into with this. He's a little rambunctious at times, very very much there for the fans. Again, we mentioned about how he uh, was there at the, the press party and stuff, but there were also a couple of times where... I don't want to say he's immature. That's not the right word. He's young at heart. He's young at heart. A little irreverent at times. He's having fun with this. Oh, he he's loving every moment of it. He's making sure everyone in the room is loving every moment yes. of it. Um, there was one point where I was teasing you because you were pointing out the show was on the air 22 years ago. And one of the girls goes up to the microphone and says, I've been waiting two years for this. And his response is along the lines of, only two years? Oh, I'm sorry. Not long enough. Go away. Come back later. The comment he made that I love the most is some guy gets up to ask a question. And he's commenting on how the guy's got his shirt on. Yes, yes. He's like, that's so cool, because normally there would be, like, in a Red Ranger, somebody else's shirt. And I'm like, dude, you don't even like me enough to get my shirt. You know, with, and joking around with the fans. Yeah, well, with the girl who'd been waiting two years, he asked her how old she was. And when she said 19, he said, oh, you weren't even born when the show was yes. on. <laughs> okay, two years is okay. You can ask your question. Well, that's... That's part of why I've got the stance I do on spoilers, because there are people today just now discovering things that others, it's like, oh, that's old hat, it's old news, I should be able to spoil that, whatever. If you were to give away the ending of some aspect of, be it Power Rangers, Lost, or whatever. Someone made a comment back at the press party that amused us endlessly. Oh, yeah. Nobody caught Firefly when it was first on the air. Like, Excuse us. Yes, I did. Every episode, religiously, I was a very faithful watcher. And they just kind of looked at us like, oh, well. And so I actually started a game I like to play. And maybe some of your listeners have considered playing this game. I usually use Suzanne Summers, but it's what show do you know Suzanne Summers from? Because what I quickly found was they knew her from Step by Step. 
they weren't familiar with Three's company. They did know about the thigh master. But there are certain things that you can date about what age somebody is or where they kind of went through certain parts of their lives by how they know certain actresses. Alyssa Milano. Is mm-hmm. it Who's the Boss or is it Charmed? Mm-hmm. Or is it Mistresses? Mm-hmm. You know? And... Definitely. To my mind, every story is new to somebody until they've experienced the story, so don't spoil it. And his realization, Jason David Franks, that, you know, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, that's, that's over 20 years old. But if you're just now catching it on the DVDs or something like that, these are new stories. They're just happening in your world. Somebody wanted him to sign a videotape box. And it was not even one of the little cardboard It was a bit, one of the big VHS, uh, yeah, the The, the big large honking box. plastic, yeah. And he held it up for everybody. For the clamshell things, yeah. who do not know what this antique is. Yes, you could buy hundreds of these large things or have the whole thing on this one phone. You know. Yes, yes. It was hilarious. He's got a good sense of humor. Uh, I really enjoy the, the Mind Morphing Life because it's covered uh, his uh, convention appearances, his uh, skydiving world record stuff, um, and just kind of the insight. He's, he's, he's an interesting fellow. Uh, and just, again, he's doing the martial arts school, whatever. So yeah. that, was, that was a fun thing. But there was a certain aspect of uh, Squirrel. You know, because he would just suddenly get distracted by, oh, that's a cool shirt. Oh, there's that. And there was one time it's like he completely dodged a question. And I don't know it was entirely intentional, but I think he realized he did. Because I think the person was still at the microphone wondering, what's going on? He's like, thank you. Okay, next. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was was funny. It's a good panel. It's fun to do. Um, There's an aspect of motivational speaking that he's either trying to pick up or is just coming naturally. Because he's at one point where he's like, you know, hey, if you only make it out to a gym, you know, 10 minutes, one time a week, that's it's better than nothing. I think some of that comes with the, the positive thinking approach of the martial arts. And where he was saying very much a focus on today. If you are not focused on today, you'll never make it to tomorrow. You'll never accomplish anything. Do what you can. Don't focus on what you can't. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah. those are the aspects of him that I find very interesting because it, it shows he's not the shallow, almost immature person he can come across as. He's a bit of a goofball, certainly, but, but he's also a serious martial artist, a very yeah. talented one, a very disciplined one. And when he puts his mind to something, he's like, let's go, let's make it happen. Well, and the goofball stuff was definitely in a entertaining way that the audience had fun with, not in a disrespectful no. way, ever. He does not disrespect his fans, Mm-mm. and I really like that. You know, at one point, he stood up away from the mic and did a, you know, this is what it's like acting in front of a green screen. Mm-hmm. And imagining the... And he said, they didn't even tell us what the head of... Zordon. Zordon would You're be. like, yeah, we just speak to a green screen. And he's like, first time he's in the command center, he's like, oh, wow, this is cool. And he's acting like he's leaning on something and the command center just rolls away kind of a thing. He's like, yeah. And then when we do the reverse shot, we're like standing around. They're like moving everything around behind us now. You know, and just kind of the whole Hollywood process thing was kind of weird. He said basically he didn't know until he saw an episode on TV what he had been imagining was there and what he had been, quote, acting opposite. And then he's like, oh, that's what I was supposed to have been seeing. 
Well, the other one that was funny, somebody asked what one of his favorite episodes was, and he mentioned Fighting Spirit. Now, he did uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Zeo Rangers, Turbo Rangers, later did Dino Thunder, and has been back for an episode, uh, actually before Dino Thunder, of uh, Wild Force, and then later uh, uh, Mega Force. It was one of the Dino Thunder ones that he mentioned, and it was basically where his past ranger selves come back in a dream sequence. He's got to fight them. And he's commenting and he's saying, well, one was about yay high. One was a few inches taller, a few inches lower. And he's, he's put, keep putting his hands at different levels. And he's like, it must've been me at the different ages as if he's radically grown over the years. And he's like different stunt guys. And it's just, this is kind of silly, but it's the way it is. Yeah. And it actually was a really good episode for Tommy. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a fun panel. Um, Again, you know, uh, Power Rangers, I think, has turned the corner, and I credit Saban getting the property back from it's still on and, and it's lame to it's still on and it's cool. Yeah. there I'm seeing a lot more Power Ranger shirts, a lot more open acceptance of it, and it's it's a good property. Can it be a little hokey? Yes. Can it be a little odd because they're adapting a, a Japanese show aimed at kids and stuff? Yes. But can you get some really good fight choreography? Yeah. Can you get some good monster battles or whatever? Yeah. You know, if you liked things like Pacific Rim or something like that, uh, there's more to this stuff than you might think. Um, and it's kind of a don't diss it if you haven't seen it. Um, but anyways, good yeah. panel. That was followed by the Rebecca Mater panel. She was very energetic, very uh, uh, fun to listen to, a lot of really good answers, very much there with the crowd. Um because there are some, it's like, yeah, they're coming in. It's Yeah, it's not a big deal. I do these things all the time. Nah, she doesn't take this for granted at all. Mm-mm. Seemed to really enjoy it. Um, panel seemed to start a few minutes late, but I think yeah. she just had to either get up there or grab a bite to eat or something, you know. Because they, they can keep these people pretty busy at a convention. This, and it wasn't like yeah. what's going on kind of a thing. No, just the schedules they go through. And it sounded like uh, she had basically begged for a bite to eat before coming in and... Honestly, I I like my talent well-fed before they come in. It does say a little something about the moderators, because this was... um, Aaron Sagers again. Sagers again. Whereas if it was the one who'd been with uh, with Christopher Judge, he'd have been in the room warming up the crowd. Yes, And again, not a big deal, but that's the subtle difference between the two. Um, And this moderator did a really good job. He, He tended to let the line form... Ask, let them ask a question. He'd do a follow-up or whatever. Now, he did ask this line to squat down so people in the back of the room could see over them, which I really appreciated. Really thoughtful, really smart. And it yeah. begged the question, why were, like, the first three or four lo- rows of chairs having the aisle in one spot, and then all the ones after it, the aisle was about six chairs to the left? Yeah, it was, it was an oddly laid-out room, but... Thankfully, everybody, once they understood, hey, nobody can see over the line, they squatted and all was really cool. And Rebecca Mater, bless her heart, she thanked people for squatting for so long to wait in the line to ask her a question. The other thing that I think kind of worked out a little bit, but not as well as it could have, some of the people were just grabbing the chair on the end and sitting in it Uh, because it had been freed up. I almost think if you're going to have a microphone line in the middle of an aisle like that, designate one of those seats and stuff 
Mm-hmm. This is where you sit while you're waiting in line. Yeah. That way you're not blocking people and stuff like that. Yeah. Or designate a row as the microphone line. Yeah. Yeah. The row that leads up to it. Yeah. That would actually Something be to nice. where it's yeah. just a, a, not a, a blocking of the view and stuff. Yeah. Um, that was a very fun panel. She talked a bit about Lost, why her character had the British accent that she has. She'd basically ask the, the producers, well, why can't the character be British? They're like, uh, so. Well, and with uh, Once Upon a Time, she was saying that the when her character first was wearing the green makeup, she was forbidden to leave set in the green makeup because they didn't want anyone to know her character had the green makeup. It was secret at the time, yeah. Yeah, so she absolutely positively had to get out of makeup on set, which took about 45 minutes. So they would wrap and everybody else would run to their cars and get to go home and she'd spend 45 minutes in the makeup trailer scrubbing off seven layers of airbrushed on makeup. It did seem like that was a a bit of an arduous process, both getting it on and off. But yeah, she seemed to really like it. It seemed to really help her getting character. Um, Mm -hmm. It was worth the effort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she did a, a great job in that role. She did. She rocked that role. Definitely. Um, so that was, that was a good panel. People seem to have a really good time. Again, a lot of people in costume in there too. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did some excellent accents and she was talking interestingly enough about just how many American television shows aired throughout her childhood in England and how she picked up so many accents as a result. We export so many TV shows and her comment yeah. is she's, she's from Britain. Yeah. She lives in the States. But she's only worked in the States. She'd like to go do something British. Yeah. Well, and and yeah. the funny thing is, is somebody asked, well, what would you like to do if you were in Doctor Who? That's a British show. And she's like, the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Why can't that be, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's funny because I was thinking about it afterwards. When there was a transition between Doctors, I forget which, uh, if it was Eccleston to Tennant or Tennant to Smith. But there was a, nope, not Ginger. Mm. And she's got yeah, yeah. red hair. And the line just writes itself. She regen the doctor regenerates into her. Finally, Ginger. Yeah. You know, which would be kind of a counterpoint to wait. She just became f- he became female, kind of a thing. She could rock at the role. She could. And it would be a a, a wild change after Capaldi. Yeah. Who just started. Yeah. No yeah. rush to get him off, but she seemed like she'd like to do the role. I think she would just again be amazing at it. Well, what intrigued me was, I mean, it totally doesn't surprise me when someone from Britain says, you know, yeah, I grew up watching the Brady Bunch and things like that. The one that intrigued me was she mentioned Sesame Street, which I hadn't realized was an American export to Britain. I knew it was PBS. I I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't know what uh, it was gets just, exported when and where, but yeah. Yeah, that one was a surprise to me. So much of our television for for decades has been exported to, to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. And she did a wonderful Texas accent at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she seems to just have a really good ear and a knack for that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she was having just a wonderful time on the panel and interacting with the fans. And she just took every question that came at her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, uh, really good panel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
And after that was the podcasting one that we've talked about. Yeah. Oh, and then after that, we did have the one more panel, which was a long one that will probably go up as a podcast. So probably only needs a very short conversation. But it was uh, why teach Batman in college? Why bring comic books into the academic environment? That was one that Derek Royal, Comics Alternative, was moderating. He'll have that up on his feed. I'm not going to put it up on mine. Yeah, yeah. That's not why like I, I was on it, but yeah. Um, really interesting. Uh, five uh, academics about talking about, you know, why teach comics in college? You know, and talking about, you know, how some of them are coming from a an English literature background, some from a cultural studies background, some almost from like a film studies background, the different views on it. You know, are you talking about, you know, can you talk about a Batman comic without talking about the Adam West Batman or the Underoos or the whatever? And just five guys who are all fans, all uh, very studious about and, and thoughtful about their fandom. And just very differing opinions in many respects. Well, and it was and interesting where they agreed and where they disagreed. Yeah, I would recommend when Derek gets that panel up that people listen to it just for the discussion of, you know, when you discuss it from an academic point of view, do you talk about a comic book as having a single author or do you recognize the collaborative nature of the medium? which was something that they discussed at one point, I don't want to say stumbled over, but kind of had to acknowledge that because there's this script, it's kind of like in film studies in the old days where the director kind of got all the credit for being that, that force of vision. nature. Yeah, who's, the, who's the definitive vision that you're getting out of this? In the auteur theory of movies, it's the director, even though the screenwriter originally came up with the idea and put it out there, presumably. No. With comics, it's usually the writer who gets the credit for all of this. Mm -hmm. Alan Moore's Watchmen. Well, you know, Dave Gibbons had a little bit to do with that. He drew the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, it was really interesting. It was it was uh, fascinating discussion. There are a couple of places where it's like, yeah, I don't agree with one of the guys. And I think at one point Derek saw me just shaking my head and kind of wound up jumping in with, with essentially what I my ejection was going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but very uh, good conversation. It went for uh, one of the longer panels. It was about an hour and a half almost, hour and 15 minutes or some such. Yeah. And it, it needed that time. Yeah. They had a lot to say. They kept coming back and jumping between a few different issues here and there some good audi audience participation uh, all in all a uh, fun discussion and that's the kind of thing that going to some of these panels um that that may be i don't say outside of your comfort zone or something but may seem that on the surface they could be a little dry this was not at all well and one of the things we noticed and you know for local universities and by local i mean you know we stretched down to san antonio for it were represented but no art department was represented and we were intrigued with the we don't know is there an art department teaching comic books or not and we wondered you know is there a cross-disciplinary study going oh. on or not and how would that work? Typically, when I hear about comic studies, it's either from the uh, English literature, the, the writing standpoint, or the film school slant, or the cultural aspect of it. 
but never from, and maybe it's just I haven't encountered this, not being in academics and Mm -hmm. comics, but never from the, I almost want to say the fine arts perspective, the literal drawing aspect. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I'm getting 40 or 50 comics a week. That is 800 to 1,000 pages of comic book art that has been drawn a week and granted by many, many people in some cases. But how the... The art style has evolved over time. How that influences things. Is it over-rendered, under-rendered, too simplistic? Or is there cross-assing? Is there not? I don't know what an artist, fine art approach to this would be. Mm -hmm. But if you can take it from a narrative point of view, which is mainly what the English uh, approach uh, aspect is, or the what kind of establishing shots, how are the scenes, how is that broken down? The, the 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 narrative beats or whatever from the the film school influence mm-hmm. there's got to be a similar sort of a thing that could be very in, interesting from a, a more uh, uh, nuts and bolts art perspective well i know that in discussing tv shows with some friends of ours who are artists they've mentioned things where you know certain scenes in this uh, environment or this saying were always shot with this color filter on mm-hmm. and once they point that out i'm like oh hey i should have been noticing that because once they say it it's painfully obvious but well, because i'm not an artist because i don't view from that angle it's not painfully obvious to me until they tell me to watch for it what I was at, you know, taking a, a radio, television, film courses in college, one of the conversations, because uh, there were a bunch of us in the, the room before the, the lecture started, professor was there, we were still waiting for the rest of the students, and uh, someone made some sort of a comment, and, you know, obviously this or whatever, and because we were near the front, the professor's like, you know, things are only obvious once they're pointed out. Yeah. And then proceeded to use the term obvious a few times in said lecture. It was kind of, oh, yeah. But it's one of those where, you know, certain TV shows, certain characters are only going to be in certain types of colors or or certain types of attire that you don't really think about, but it's consistent. There's a methodology to it. And sometimes to the point of helping you differentiate between two characters. Well, you had been giving me quite a few Wonder Woman comic books in uh, when I was in like junior high and high school. And then, you know, I go off to college and one of my college degrees is in classics. And of course, when I got into those classics courses, I'm seeing all these familiar images and familiar things. And I'm like, you know, Wonder Woman sure drew heavily here. Well, it was funny because for a while she was drawing from the Greek and the Roman gods a little inconsistently between the two. It wasn't until George Perez came back that they actually kind of cleaned that up. Yeah, but it was just something that I was aware of when I was taking those classics courses. And I almost want to say, by dumb luck, because you had given me the comic books and because that was something I latched on to in yeah. both environments. So... It's just every person's going to come at things from their own angle. Well, and that's part of what was fun about the the panel is all the different guys had different focuses, different things they tended to teach about, write about, whatever. And seeing, again, where there was some commonality, where there were some differences, mm-hmm. what approaches they took and why. It was, it was a fun way to look at, at that stuff. Yeah. Overall, I'd say it was a wonderful convention. I 
didn't know how I was going to feel about a Thursday, Friday, Saturday convention. But quite frankly, at this point, it is late Saturday. I'm ex- it's getting close to early Sunday at this point, actually. it's uh... I'm exhausted and I am so grateful to have my Sunday to recuperate. I'm thankful it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday convention in so much as I would have to ditch Sunday. Yeah. Because at this point, I have not recorded my clips for the preview spotlight yet. Going to do that this morning, didn't have time. I uh, The numbers came out Friday, so i got to start crunching those, write the article for that. I've got this episode to edit, the actual panel episode to edit. I got plenty to do. Plus, I actually got some new comic. I have not... Not only did I get some new comics that I picked up this morning at the UPS store, I haven't read the last batch entirely. I think this Thursday, Friday, Saturday schedule might kind of work for me. It might. It might. Um, I mean, took a little getting used to, though. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm old-fashioned. I think I like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I think in the future, I hope Austin's less popular. They can get Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But I think Thursday, Friday, Saturday worked for me. I like the end of the month that they're going to have next year because, again, it's 29th, 30th, 31st of October, so it ends on Halloween. Mm-hmm. But that means it's not going to overlap with the preview spotlight weekend for me or when the numbers come out, and that just makes my life a little easier. And I am curious how late they'll run on Saturday leading in to Halloween. Well, and hopefully there won't be a football game, ACL, Mm -hmm. and other stuff. ACL should not overlap. It's more the football concern. But this was a, I fear, a lightly attended convention this year. I fear that as well. But all said and done, it seemed like everybody was having a good time. I agree. Everybody got to go see what they wanted to see. There was nothing kind of in their way. Mm-hmm. No lines, no delays, none of that stuff. Well, so I would say it was very successful in that regard. Yeah, and I mean, going back to there were panels that time-wise, because we had other things we wanted to do. Summer Glau. It was Summer either Glau. go eat or, uh, or watch that. And yeah. I wanted to watch that one. Uh, Sean Astin was another one that we had to choose. Do we go to uh, Jason David Frank and Rebecca Mader, or are we over at Sean Astin? Uh, Michael Rooker was another one that conflicted. I mean, they had a lot of really good talent, a lot of really good panels. One other thing I want to point out is right now you're looking at this one uh, page. It's a tabloid, 11 by 17. tabloid size, 11 by 17, that they gave us with the program. On one side, it's got all of the schedule for the weekend. On the other side, it's got the entire floor plan. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now, granted, you fold it up, try to put it in your pocket. It's, it's tabloid size. It gets pretty big, when you know, thick when you fold it. But it was handy to have all of that on a single page. I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Um, so just at a glance, boom, I've got my floor plan. I've got my schedule. This one thing is all I need. Yeah. So kudos to them for that. Um, I also appreciated how when we went up to the programming room Friday, there were people at the top of the escalators. Oh, what are you looking for? Here are the rooms here. Room six is going to be down the hall a ways, you know, to the left or whatever. Good plenty mar- of volunteers, plenty of signage, everything, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, well, uh, uh, trained volunteers are well prepped. Mm-hmm. None of a, uh, let me go get you somebody else sort of a thing for the most part. Yeah. Um, so... Well-organized, well-run, smooth convention this year. Mm-hmm. Again, they had some cancellations that's going to happen. Yeah, but, I mean, among those that we didn't see, but to my knowledge, were here. There was Bruce Campbell, 
uh, Holly Marie Combs and Shan Doherty going Technically, back to Technically, I saw both of those when we walked by the uh, signing oh, stuff. You saw them in signing? I didn't see them when we were down in signing, so you did better than I did. Uh, Norman Reedus came. So, I mean, they, they did have some very good talent that yeah. came, and it was, I think it was a really great convention. Again, Wizards, I think, worth, worth going to. Mm-hmm. It's getting late. My I'm slurring my words. Oh, well. Um, typically, their conventions are something I would go to if I was in city or an adjacent city. That having been said, there are people who've traveled a ways to get to this one. And it comes down to, is there somebody that you have just got to go listen to, got to go see, got to get an autograph of, whatever? What convention are they going to? And if you know they're going to be there, keeping in mind, yeah, sometimes they get sick, cancel, or whatever. You know, it, it could be worth going a distance for, for one of these things. Well, it's definitely a pop culture convention as opposed to a primarily comic books convention. Yeah. But the not lining up to get in, the fact that you can tweet or frankly chat some of your questions instead of having to line up at the microphone, it has some advantages over some of the bigger conventions. I don't know that there was any panel we went to where they couldn't get through all the questions. That's true. And in fact, some of the panels, when they were told, start wrapping it up, they did not say, okay, we're cutting off at or, you know, they no more. They capped the line and not let more people get exactly. in. Exactly. But they told everybody currently in line, all we ask is that you be concise and quick and we're going to get yeah. through all of you. And so, I really respect that. Very fan-friendly convention in that respect. Yeah. There was none of this, we're only going to do two more, everybody after that, go away. Yeah, you've been I, standing in line for 20 minutes, but oh well, you lose. None yeah, of that. No, none of that. And I really respect things like that about Wizard. They do a great convention in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I personally wouldn't pay for the extra money to go do the VIP package, but... That sort of celebrity thing, not a big deal for me. Exactly. But again, the guy we saw at the parking garage, that's what he did, and he was very happy with how it worked oh, out Oh, he him. was fist pumping the air. He was showing me what he got, which I do not understand what he showed me. I admit that, but I also don't understand what VIP Undertaker means. Because I'm doing my ditzy blonde, I don't do wrestling but thing. Derek didn't know who Christopher Judge was. Exactly. You know, exactly. from Stargate. We knew Stargate. It, different to people, different own. things. Exactly. But the guy also appreciated the humor of my being appreciative of his explaining to me that VIP Undertaker did not have to do with actual Undertakers. Yes. <laughs> and then I thought it being related to wrestling was a huge relief and a wonderful thing. And when he showed me his thing and told me about the autograph and how happy he was, I'm telling you, seeing this guy so happy and excited, it was wonderful. He had clearly not just gotten his money's worth. He had gotten beyond his money's worth. And, and again, that's a sign of a, a yeah. good convention is people leaving that happy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So while it may not have had, oh, my God, attendance... I think there were a lot of people who, who left with that level of success and happiness. Yeah. And I I think that's awesome. That's, to yeah. me, that's what a convention's all about. Yeah. I'm definitely glad they're coming back to Austin again next year. I was starting to wonder, because I hadn't seen it on the schedule prior to this. But Well, the, and I was worried with the Thursday, Friday, Saturday that they might give up on us. So yeah. I'm very glad that they're not shying away from Austin and that they're coming back to us again. So anything else? Does that pretty much do it? I think that does it for me. Cool. 
The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.